Quick warning, this week's episode, while intended for the family, does deal with some mature subject matters, including death. That happens from about two and a half minutes in till about five minutes in. It also deals with fire, but since this is called A Dragon for George, I guess I should have assumed you already knew that. And now, on with the show. You are listening to the Literary Comedy Podcast. Stories of comedy, tragedy, and time-ing. Hello. Welcome to Chapter 8 of A Dragon for George, a friendly for most of the family novel about a 12-year-old boy and a dragon who may or may not be from another dimension. Last time, the dragon saved George from falling off a cliff, and George saved the dragon from drowning before naming it Lorne, which had been Max's middle name. And now, Chapter 8 of A Dragon for George. George had a lot on his shoulders, and most other parts of him, too. Lorne clung to his front, holding him by the neck and by the loops in his jeans. The backpack hung off his back. The sword hung off one side of him, a large branch rested on his legs for steering purposes. George straddled the log, water flowing around his feet and ankles. The river was slow here giving George a chance to experiment with his steering. If he dipped the branch to his right and pushed backwards, the log would steer to his left. Doing the same thing on his left side steered him to his right. It didn't steer him very well. It was quite unwieldy, in fact, but it worked. Slowing down was the problem. If he pushed forward on either side, the log would roll, he would lose his balance, Lorne would dig in with her claws, and the log wouldn't slow that much anyway. Sometimes the river was shallow enough that he could touch the bottom with his branch. This helped both with steering and slowing down. But other times, the river got so deep that, well, he didn't know how deep it got. As the sun moved through the sky... Lorne relaxed her grip a little. Perhaps she'd gotten used to the river. Perhaps she'd simply become tired of holding on so tightly. Either way, with his shoulders aching from the backpack and his neck scratched up from claws, George was thankful for any sort of relief. Staring into the river, he saw the reflection of himself, the sword, and the dragon. I am grateful to be your squire, Max, he said. Images of Max's last moments washed over George's mind. Those bullies Chad and Fred had held George down while Johnny taunted him. But then Max had arrived. Leave my brother alone, he said. He has done nothing to incur your wrath. For crying out loud, talk like a normal person, Johnny said, shoving Max. I warn you. Max said, narrowing his eyes. I am trained in several forms of combat. Are you now? Johnny raised his hands submissively. Do you yield? Max asked. Sure, Johnny said. Anything you say. Come on, George, Max said, offering George his hand. It's over now. But Fred continued to hold George down. Johnny punched Max from behind. On second thought, it's not over, Johnny said. Max stood up tall. 
even as blood flowed from his lip. Max looked like he might punch Johnny, his face pinched and mean. Max opened his mouth to say something, but he closed it again, bending down in pain. I didn't even punch you that hard, you faker. Johnny punched Max again. Max fell to his knees, his face twisted in torment. No! George had yelled, reaching out to his brother. But Chad and Fred kept their weight upon him as Max convulsed uncontrollably. You're faking, Johnny said. Everyone knows you're faking. Everyone was wrong. As the sun sank toward the horizon, George kept his eyes peeled for a place to land. Spotting another point bar, George reached out to the right with his branch, dipping it deep into the water, pushing upstream, steering it in the point bar's direction. The log crashed into the shore and rolled to its side. George lost his balance, sliding into the shallows. George hit the riverbed hard, and Lorne jumped off him, hissing as she plopped into the water. She flailed her legs in every direction, flapping her wings. The water only went up to her chin, however. She flailed on nonetheless for a few moments before abruptly stopping. Cautiously, she sat down on her haunches. She took a drink. The log had only pushed up onto the bank very slightly, and the current was already dislodging it. George ran onto the bank, letting his backpack fall. He rushed to the log, pulling it with all his strength. But the log was far too heavy and far too slippery. George lost his grip, slipping backwards as the log twisted back into the water. Lorne, emboldened by her recent success in the shallows, flapped her wings, gliding over to help landing on the back of the log, gripping it with her claws. She adjusted her wings, spreading them to their full extent, using them as a kind of sail, allowing her to direct the log back to shore. She let out a triumphant screech. The log didn't stay there for long, however. George ran to his backpack for the rope. He ran back to the log, positioning himself downriver of it. He threw the rope to the other side so that it landed in the water, moving toward him in the current. George dove beneath the water, feeling for the rope till he grasped it. He pulled it toward him, tying it around the log, securing it against a knot in the wood. George then ran onto the shore to a small tree growing off the bank. Using this tree's trunk as a pivot, George pulled the end of the log onto the point bar, George then wrapped the rope around the trunk several times, tying a knot. As the sun set, George escorted Lorne inland, where they found a small clearing. It was far from pristine, with a charred log and wet garbage decomposing in a makeshift fire pit. But Lorne was pleased to find a tuft of long grass on the far side, and George wasn't in a position to be choosy. A great weight slid from his shoulders and the backpack hit the ground. The sleeping bag and mattress were both soaking, so George spread them across the charred log. George removed the towel and blanket from the plastic bag Max had thought to store them in. Water had found its way into the bag, but only a little. The towel and blanket were damp, but not sopping or anything. Still, George spread them across the charred log all the same. The air was still warm. 
That wouldn't last much longer without the sun, so George gathered branches, big and small. He gathered sticks, grass, leaves, and underbrush, piling them in the fire pit. By the time he'd finished, the damp, cool evening air was setting in. George took out his lighter. He knew the fire might draw attention to passers-by, plus temptation to Lorne, but everything George had, including the clothes on his back, was either damp or soaking wet. He needed to warm up before he got hypothermia or something. George flicked his lighter, but could not produce a flame. He tried the bridle from his backpack and managed to create a spark in the noseband, attracting Lorne's attention. She ran over to George, wagging her tail as she stared at the bridle. George sparked it again and Lorne burped, producing a ball of flame that lit George's pile in the fire pit. Good job, George said. Lorne chirped joyously. She grabbed the bridle from his hand, ran over to the grass, and pressed the button herself as she burped again, producing another ball of fire. She chirped delightedly, burping and sparking again and again till George grabbed it back from her. No, George said, staring Lorne down. Bad dragon. Lorne ignored George, running past him to the tall grass now aflame. George ran to it, stamping it out with his feet. Bad dragon, George said. Lorne hissed at him and skulked back to the fire pit where she curled up in a ball. It's not complicated. If you light a fire in a pit, that's okay, or in a fireplace. It's also okay to scare people, but you can't actually burn people or light forests or tall grass. Okay, it is actually a little bit complicated. George pointed to the fire pit and smiled. He said, Good! in a sing-songy voice while giving a thumbs up. He then pointed to the burnt grass, shaking his head and saying, Bad! in an angry voice. Lorne looked over to him with disinterest, then put her head back down on her claws. She wasn't in the mood for training. Fine. At least she wasn't burning things. For the moment. George changed out of his wet clothes into the towel and blanket, which were now more or less dry. He took a can of root beer from the backpack, taking a sip as he sat across from Lorne. He rubbed his hands together, warming himself by the fire. It had been a long day, and tomorrow would be a long one, too. He couldn't tell exactly how far they'd reached, but George guessed it must have been several miles at least. They were near Canyon Shallows, maybe? If they started at dawn, George figured they could make it to North Bend by sunset, assuming nothing went overly wrong. By this time tomorrow, they might be in Old Newton, where Johnny lived. But where to find Johnny in the town? Johnny went to high school. It was summer break, but the school would have his home address. They had to in case they needed to send a report card there. George could ask someone in the school office. They probably wouldn't even be suspicious of him because he was 12. He might not even have to lie. This plan made George very uneasy. It just didn't seem complicated enough. But even a simple plan would be complicated because of Lorne. The people of the town would definitely find her odd. George could call her his pet iguana with wings again, hoping it would work better than the first time. 
City folk didn't know their animals very well, did they? Maybe people would believe that she was a giant version of the flying lizard from Southeast Asia, or that she was part of some prank video. Or maybe George could carry Lorne in his backpack. People would only see her face, which looked like a giant lizard. A pet lizard wasn't unheard of. People would make their own assumptions, another way to avoid lying. George wasn't sure that Lorne would agree to the arrangement, but maybe he could train her. George had so many thoughts that his mind couldn't focus on any one, instead darting between them, exhausting George as if it were his body racing rather than his mind. He found his eyelids getting heavy, and then found himself wide awake. George could have sworn only a moment passed between the two findings, but the air was much colder now and the fire was embers. Lorne burped, snored, and farted occasionally fast asleep. Shivering, George went over to the log to pick up the sleeping bag, now dry. He unsheathed his sword, removing his baldric and still damp clothes, draping them over the log. He laid the sleeping bag on a patch of sandy ground next to the embers. Using his rebar sword, he pushed the unburned portions of the sticks and branches into the center, blowing on the embers till they caught alight again the flames growing, expanding into a crackling fire. Lorne opened an eye at the sound of it. She ran toward the flames and burped at them, chirping at the fireball she created. She burped a second time, running around in circles, unable to contain her excitement. That's enough, George said firmly, as she prepared to burp a third time. Go back to sleep. Lorne gave George a look as if to say, It's okay for you, but not me, and then belched another fireball, wagging her tail and flapping her wings with joy. George put his shoes back on, going over to his backpack and removing another can of root beer, which he dumped over the fire. Lorne whimpered in protest. This is what happens if you don't listen to me, George said, snapping out the remaining embers. Lorne hissed at him. It's not safe otherwise. Lorne howled in protest. You'll live. George removed his shoes. You can stop it with that whining now. Lorne let out one last howl before laying down again and closing her eyes. George got into his sleeping bag, but for all his efforts lay awake until dawn, listening to the river, the crickets, several scampering animals, and Lorne's various noises. The next morning, George put his clothes back on. They were still damp, but George figured they'd get wet again on the river anyway. He'd warm up soon enough under the summer sun. He looked around their campsite to make sure they hadn't left anything. A roar echoed from the forest, followed by a shriek. Someone was in trouble. George strapped on his baldric and sheathed his sword. He glanced over at Lorne, who was devouring a tuft of grass. Someone, possibly a damsel, is in distress, George said. It's up to us to help her. Or him. Or them. Or whoever. Lauren looked up for a moment to George, before turning her attention back to the grass, still upset that she wasn't allowed to breathe fire whenever she wanted. Come on, George said. It's what we're meant to do. Lauren didn't even look up this time. I can't leave you here alone. The horsemen might show up. Another roar preceded another shriek. We have to help! 
George said, searching his mind for ways he might entice Lorne to come with him. George took out the bridle. Lorne ran towards it, chirping excitedly. Oh my goodness, said George, getting a good look at the dragon. She'd more than doubled in size overnight. You really grow! She burped toward the noseband, but nothing happened. She chirped, looking up longingly at George. I think you might be a pyromaniac, he said to her. She forced her nose into the bridle. Jack had rigged it to be adjustable, and at the smallest setting, Lorne almost fit, but not quite. It slid up and down her nose. George tried to remove the bridle, but she hissed at him. Fine, said George as the damsel, and or manzel, in distress, shrieked again. Let's save the day already! George held the reins as Lorne rushed ahead of him, sniffing along the path like a dog on a leash. Every so often, Lorne would look back to George pleadingly, burping as she pointed toward the button on the reins. Such powers are to be used responsibly, George said. As Max's squire, I must follow the knightly ethic of forbearance. That means we can't use our powers whenever we want, even though we could if we wanted. As the path widened, George saw the cause of the roar. Fifty feet ahead of him was the backside of a large brown bear rearing over a mum, a dad, and a girl a year or two younger than George. Lorne hissed at the bear. Shh, George whispered. We have to be careful. Lorne ignored the command, running toward the scene. Stay back, said George, holding tight to the reins. But Lorne was incredibly strong for her size. She pulled George forward, even as the noseband slipped over her eyes. George pulled the reins to the right, jerking the bridle, and therefore Lorne's head. She yanked her head back with such force that the reins ripped into George's skin, making him bleed. She yanked the noseband off her eyes, pulling it toward her nostrils. Lorne hissed at the bear, which turned its substantial girth toward her. Lorne hissed again, speeding toward the thing. You are indeed brave, George said as he ran to keep up with her, but you should leave this to me. George unsheathed his sword. The bear roared. Lorne howled. Get away, bear, George said. Get away. It stayed put. It was over ten feet tall. Lorne, even with her impressive growth, was barely the size of your average cocker spaniel. George had to act fast. He pressed the button, sparking the bridle as Lorne burped. He hoped that a negligible amount of methane would escape Lorne's nostrils, just enough to frighten the bear before it got close enough to hurt the dragon. But Lorne, knowing full well where the spark would come from, had forced a larger-than-expected burp through her nose, shooting a jet of fire much farther than George had anticipated, igniting the bear's fur and the lower-hanging branches of an alder tree to boot. Cut, cut, cut yelled a voice from the bushes. Uh, you ruined the shot! It's burning! yelled a muffled voice from inside the bear. Help! Help! A young man and woman ran out of the bushes, holding fire extinguishers that they aimed at the bear and the burning trees. What were you thinking? yelled a man with a beard who wore a black baseball hat with white lettering that spelled out Hector the Director. You ruined our shot! Not just the shot! said a young man with a walkie-talkie. 
who walked over to the bear, removing what turned out to be the top half of a costume, revealing a very sweaty man inside. You're right, said the sweaty man, examining the costume, charred and melted. This is as good as ruined. I told you there should be a pie on both sides of the path, said the man that George had thought to be the father. I'm going to my trailer. I'm sorry for ruining your shot, George said. We thought it was a real bear. A real bear would have been worse, said Hector, the director. They're endangered, you know. You call 911 if you see a bear attack so the proper authorities can deal with it. Y y y you don't burn the thing to death. What kind of monster are you? It's a dragon, said a young woman with a walkie-talkie, looking closely at Lorne. Is it animatronic? It's not very realistic, said the sweaty man. Not even close to as good as our bear. Did Sal Johnson send you? He's always trying to sabotage his competitors. We're insured for this, right? said Hector, the director. Insured against animatronics that breathe fire, said a woman with a clipboard. That would have cost extra. There goes our budget, said Hector. The video could go viral, said the young girl, who was now playing with her mobile phone. That'd raise awareness like nothing else. He melted the camera, said the cameraman, stepping out of the bushes with a distorted hunk of metal, glass, and plastic. You owe us big time, the director said to George. We're going to confiscate that animatronic of yours, Lorne hissed. No, George said, backing away. Don't scare her. She's a glorified puppet, said the sweaty man. Give her here, said the young man with the walkie-talkie, reaching for Lorne, who hissed and then bit the man. Ow! Grab the thing, said the director, as more people moved out of their hiding spots within the forest. Run! George said to Lorne, yanking on her reins. She yanked back, burping loudly. No more fire, George said, pulling the reins. Lorne wouldn't budge. Okay, fine. Fire then. This way. George made a clicking sound with his mouth, imitating the sparking sound of the bridle. This got Lauren's attention. This way, George repeated, running and clicking. Sparks and fire. Lauren ran after George. So did the film crew, catching up to them as they reached the campsite. Keep back, George said as he grabbed his backpack. Or you might get burned. The crew kept their distance remembering the flame that had hit the bear costume. We'll get a new bear, said the woman with the walkie-talkie. This isn't worth the risk. She led the film crew away. Lorne whined, pawing at George, nudging him with her snout. She wanted the promised flames. This way, George said, leading Lorne to the riverbank. He sparked the bridle and she burped out a fiery jet safely over the water. Satisfied? George asked as he untied the log. Lorne whined. She wanted more sparks. She wasn't satisfied at all. Come on, George said. We have to get on the log. Lorne continued to whine. One more, George said. But then we're going. Lorne delighted at the flames, but whined again after. Nope, said George. Lorne shook her head as he removed the bridle, making the job harder than it needed to be. Only when George had stuffed the bridle into his backpack did she come to her senses again. George launched the log back onto the river to continue their journey. His intentions had been so noble and brave, but he'd done nothing but hurt people, and then lie to them on top of that. 
Plus, his dragon was far too obsessed with fire for anyone's good. It wasn't supposed to be like this. Next time, George would do better. He doubted that he could do much worse. Thank you for listening to Chapter 8 of A Dragon for George. If you like the show, please tell the world. Like, rate, review, subscribe, and also listen again next week. Until then, bless you, keep you, and take good care.